Hey y'all, you are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things concerning self-development and bettering our spirit, but from the homie perspective, somebody that's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey y'all, it's your girl Maria, The Spiritual Homegirl, and we're back with another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. Now before we get started, y'all know I can't do any podcast episode without thanking you all for listening, so thank you for listening, boo. Out of the tens and thousands of podcasts that are out there in podcast land, you choose to lend me your ears once a week for about an hour or so, and I hella appreciate that. So today's interview and episode is very special. Like I said, I've been knocking off everybody on my bucket list lately, and it's been an honor to be able to talk with such awesome people. And today's interview guest is Samuel F. Reynolds. And I've been following Sam's work for about maybe seven or eight years at this point. And this is before I even went public as Spiritual Homegirl. So it's been a very long time. And what I like about his approach to astrology is that number one, He's a veteran. He's an OG astrologer. And I think in the social media age, everybody's kind of popping up as experts when we have people that are literally like real deal experts, been did the work for years, many years, and have also paved the way for a lot of us to do what we do here. When it comes to speaking on astrology and just things in general, especially as black folks, um, melanated peoples, however you want to refer. But he's also very outspoken, very straight to the point, no chaser. I love that because obviously I identify with that approach. Um, He's very respectful. And we actually connected because he posted something about a month ago about men not understanding how uncomfortable they put women when it comes to unwanted attention. And that actually led to a big old hoopla on my page. And we actually, you know, I, I just really respect people that are able to kick these kind of perspectives to their own counterparts because obviously they don't hear it when we say it. So to hear a man put out a call to action for other men to be more respectful or be more mindful of what position they put women in when they make these unwanted cat calls and attention and things like that, like how that makes them look and also how that makes the woman feel. So I really thought that was really dope. And that's how we connected because it started a big um, conversation on my page and some people understood it, most of them, and then a few of them did not. Um, it is what it is. But um, he decided to interview, and we talked about a lot of stuff on this episode. This is a very long episode, so get your tea, get you some snacks, okay? It's going to be a good hour and a half plus conversation about all things astrology, who to stay away from, what apps are good, um, the scam of what people are doing with astrology, also, his own journey in astrology, what it's like to be black in astrological spaces, um, and also America's birth chart, because America does have a birth chart and it is not looking good right now. But the good thing about knowing these types of things ahead of time is that we can better prepare as best we can versus be upset at what we see. So um, another thing is we also talk about retrogrades, uh, Chiron, Saturn return. So this is a very good episode if you are an astrology enthusiast, if you're wanting to learn more about astrology, or if you just want to hear a dialogue, if you're already familiar, between um, an OG and um, someone who admires the OG. <clears throat> not quite a grasshopper, grasshopper, but um, not quite an OG 30 years in the game like Sam, okay? So <laughs> so check out this episode and I will catch y'all uh, on the flip. All right, y'all, it's your girl Maria, the spiritual homegirl, and I am here with veteran astrologer Samuel F. Reynolds. How are you? 
Hello, Maria. How are you? I am honored. I'm so excited to be here. I'm honored. I've been following your work since I had a whole nother Twitter account, actually. Whew, I want to say oh, wow. 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. somewhere along yeah. those lines. So I always tell people like manifestation can really come, but it doesn't come super quickly. Sometimes you have to wait and go through your journey and things will happen. So I always want to have a conversation with you. So doing this so many years after the fact, it's just, I'm really like over the moon. I am. And it came indirectly, right? It just came after, you know, like, you know, like, yeah, just how we just came together. It flowed perfectly. So I'm really, again, honored, really honored that you decided to come on the show. I'm honored to have you here to be here with you. Thank you. So for those that don't know, like, what is your journey? I mean, in general, whatever you feel like sharing, but also how did you get to astrology? Long story short, I got into astrology trying to disprove it. Right. I mean, I, um, I had a history with astrology being exposed to it from my family, you know, from dream books to, we had like a cutting board, you know, inset into the counter that was Zodiac. Um, and I had just recently remembered that, like I had forgotten about that, but it was, so I was exposed to it, you know, just being at the cutting board, having to chop up things or whatever. Um, but when I read in the dream books, cause I'm born on the cusp between Scorpio and Sagittarius. I mean, technically there is no cusp if you know when you were born. Um, but most people don't know what time they were born and they see things like, Oh, well, Scorpio supposedly ends in one book on the 21st and then other books that says it ends on the 22nd, blah, 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 which is it? So that was confusing for me. And that translated somehow over time into not really liking astrology. And then when I became a born again Christian when I was 12 and a minister, um, then I used to preach against astrology. So that was another kind of thing where I even have one of my sermons when I was talking about, you know, um, declaiming the Zodiac. And then when I went into college, more specifically graduate school, it, it was more so about looking at things in terms of race, gender, and class. And that was really my focus by the time I was like 21 or at 21 years old. So by the time I got to an astrologer at 23, and I only went there to shut up a, a Gemini, um, a Gemini in my life was like, you know, because I used to say I was a Sagittarius when people would ask me what I was, you know, because I was like, I don't know. And if I had to choose between being the arachnid, the bug, or being the centaur, I would obviously want to be a centaur. So <laughs> I was like, okay, well, yeah, I'm the centaur. But the Gemini was like, no, I think you're a Scorpio, right? And I was like, Pfft. but I happened to meet an astrologer while looking for a book at a bookstore and up in Philly, North Philly. And he's like, well, I can do a reading for you. And it was like, I had some extra cash, got the reading. And what happened during the reading for the first 15 minutes, it just seemed like Yang, where he was just like, you know, it seems like you're, you know, pretty smart guy, blah, blah, blah. And it was a brother. So, I mean, I don't know why I'm doing that voice, but, you know, like, yeah, he was kind of nervous about it. And I was like, you know, I told you I was doing a PhD program. Chances are I'm not an idiot. I didn't say that, speaking of elders. So I was respectful. But I was like, all right, I wonder when he's going to tell me something interesting. But he did. He started talking about my family dynamics before I was born, specifically when I was in utero. About between my, he's like, I see some issues that happen between your mother and your father and your brother. If you have a brother that complicated your pregnancy, Um, you know, and I was like, wait, wait. And I had just learned that the month before. And I was like, wait, how do you know that? So that's when I guess I revealed I was really a Scorpio because I'm like, how do you know the family secrets? 
I got a little agitated. And I was like, this has to be a hustle. And so I spent 10 years trying to figure out what was his hustle and his angle only to discover that that was just astrology and the gift and wonders of astrology. So that's how I got into it. That's so interesting that you, I, I, I didn't know you were coming in the game to discredit the game. I, mm-hmm. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. Maybe I thought maybe you got into it in your twenties and then, you know, you just kind of jumped in from there, but you were like, no, I preached against this. Oh guy. yeah. I hated astrology. I mean, I, you know, it was funny about it. You know, I first started, I disliked astrology, but by the time, like I was coming to engage astrology, I was like, I can, I can take tarot. Like I thought that was interesting. I was familiar with some principles related to palmistry. I had studied numerology, but like if someone come up to me like, well, what did you think about astrology? Oh, F that in particular, right? It was just something about that. that I was like, that makes no sense that you're going to tell me like the stars or literally Saturn is influencing me. I would have a better chance with a plane, right? Why don't you have planeology? And then we could talk about something maybe intelligent. And so I had all these thoughts related to it. And um, until I started studying it, this is why when I engage skeptics, I was like, have you studied it? And most of them, nine out of 10 of them, when I engage them on Twitter or other places, they haven't. They just have read what someone else has said or has studied, but they haven't studied it for themselves. I have a couple of questions. I want to make sure I don't lose my train of thought here. So going back to what you said about the, the cuss. So I was always under the impression that wherever your zero is, that's where it is. So regardless of days. So if it's zero degrees Scorpio, that's what you are. That's true. Okay. So, but the problem is that changes from year to year, right? When zero degrees of a sign begins. So let's pick on Aries, right? Since uh, I think someone around here is an Aries. So... <laughs> It could begin March 20th. It could begin March 21st. It could begin early in the morning, rarely, but still on the morning of March 22nd, depending on where you are in the world. So that zero degrees point depends on where you are in the world and it depends on the year. So for instance, last year when we had a leap year, it threw off things by at least a day. So some people who normally had like, oh, you know, my birthday is usually, you know, my solar return, when the sun comes back to its original position as it was when you were born, may have off been off by a day. So your birthday was the following day, but your solar return was a day before, right? In terms of where the sun's position actually was. Right. And that's what astrology really uses is the actual sun's position. So zero degrees of a sign could shift a day or so from year to year. And depending on where you are. So for instance, someone who's in Australia they're already on that next day where you in the United States on the previous day. I'm really glad you spoke to that because um, some people were saying that every season started incorrectly this year. And I was like, let me double check something. So, I mean, I just ran it from LA cause that's where I'm at. And I'm like, no, technically it's a day, it's a day before. So, um, so having the dates, I see what you're saying about how that can be misleading because it really does make the difference in terms right. of where you are, what time it is. But, um, and I guess that brings to my next question. A lot of people have birth charts where they don't have times. Like I got a niece 
and she asked me to do her stuff for her just to kind of help her understand some things. But I was like, you don't have time. And she's like, no. So, well, well no, no, no. It was, no, no, my sister. She gave me my sister stuff. She doesn't have a time. My sister that passed away. She was born in the Caribbean. She doesn't have a time. So I'm just like, interesting. But then on certain levels, they'll say run a night chart, like a, a midnight chart or run a 12 p.m. chart. And I noticed or it Or 6 a.m. chart. You can run any particular time that you want. I mean, ideally, astrologers will pick noon or 6 a.m. Um, if you want to do the start of the day at 12 p.m., but like most, I mean, 12 a.m., but most will do either 12 p.m. because you get an idea of where the moon is even midday because um, that's important. And then you can do the start of the day. Like I do a dawn chart, putting the sun at the horizon. And so that just doing a sun sign chart, you can get a lot of value out of that um, in terms of looking at the relationships between the planets, which we call aspects, and then getting a, a sense of those connections. And then if the moon stays in the same sign during the course of that day, then you also can get a sense of the moon sign because the moon travels about, you know, anywhere from 11 to 15 degrees during the course of a day. So if you're born with the moon having just gone into Leo or some other sign or like Virgo or something like that, then what you'll have is pretty much a good guesstimate that the moon was in Virgo during the course of that whole day right. rather than kind of, and so you can work with that chart. But there is something called rectification where the astrologer does some sleuth work where they work with particular significant events in your life. Like, you know, for, for instance, and I'm sorry to hear this, the, the unfortunate passing of your sister, mm -hmm. right? So the day she passed along with like, if you had children or starts of relationships or particular things like 20 or some more items that were significant in your life, the astrologer could work with those dates and those times those things happen to see if they can work backward to figure out your birth time. That's called rectification. I used to do that a lot more before 2020, but the nature of my schedule doesn't permit me to do that because it's it's actually time timely, you know, not this time, I'm sorry. Um, it's uh, time consuming, you know, you know, to spend a lot of time looking at various charts, working with those dates to figure out, okay, this is your birth time. It can take up to, you know, days. You know, sometimes I've even spent like nearly a week with a rectification. But there are astrologers who do rectification and can do that as a service for people who don't know their birth time. Wow, that's good to know. Um, and going back to what you said about you wanting to study, where did you initially start? Because I'm assuming it's, this is before the internet age. This is before the web. You know, because the internet's been around since the 60s, but the World Wide Web hasn't been around until the, the 90s. So, yeah. And the World Wide Web is having its Saturn return right now. Oh, so that's an interesting moment, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so how did I study? <laughs> how did I learn? So mainly because you're right. I mean, it was before the World Wide Web. So I was reliant on books and interesting synchronicity. So one big synchronicity that happened after I went to that astrologer, you know, I would talk to my friend because, you know, the Gemini, I had a crush on her and she was an older woman, but she was, she was sensitive and kind enough not to just blow me off. You know, when you're young, young men speaking, we're talking about, that's how we even reconnected or connected. Right. Um, you know, I was one of those young men too. Like, you know, I can kick it to anybody. Right. But she was <laughs> like, listen, you know, she, she never called me kid, but basically like, 
this that's not going to happen but i will be your friend and i was like okay whatever but you know i'm glad she was there so i initially you know talked to her then the next big moment of synchronicity i was talking to someone in my graduate housing and uh, you know a white woman you know who was there and i just mentioned the yeah i went to see an astrologer i don't even know why i was talking to her about it and she's like oh i'm into astrology and I was like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, when's your birthday? Oh, and she happened to say November 22nd. And that's my birthday. And I was like, what year? 1967? And I was like, wait, that's the same year I was born, right? So we were born on the exact same day. And so my initial books were books I borrowed from her. Um, the only way to learn astrology, she had, like, that's a series of books by Marion March and um, last name is Evers, McEvers, and I can't remember her first name, Mary, maybe Mary. Anyway, I started with those books, and then I would go to Barnes & Noble or Borders, anyone remembers Borders, Yeah. and then I would camp out there and basically read until, like, there was, it was obvious that I needed to buy this book, because that's the only place where I knew to get or find astrology books. So I started getting books from there. And that's how I studied for about 10 years. So I didn't get into astrology until pretty much 90, 91. And so I didn't get to get access to better astrology books and resources related to astrology until I moved to New York. Then I, um, there were more astrologers or people who were talking about astrology, went to my first astrology conference um, here in, or there in New York. And um started studying with people and started going for certifications in astrology. I'm glad you touched on that too, because um, in Atlanta, like to call yourself an astrologer um, or a quote unquote, um, I don't want to say real one, but the way Atlanta is, you have to go get certified, like board certified. Yes. They don't play yeah. that in Atlanta. So, yeah. So that's because someone, and I know who, who did that. Um, David really convinced Maynard Jackson to set up that that whole thing. So David Rayleigh is now in China, you know, and he set up a nice school in, in China. Um, but yeah, that was implemented. And I got to speak at the Metropolitan um, Astrological Society. Shout out to Moss. That's my people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Wait, I spoke put, put there, me there about two years ago. Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay, it's supposed to be after I moved because... I, it took me a minute to adjust um, once I moved. But Maxine Taylor, if I remember correctly, was the first board certified astrologer in Atlanta. So um, is she black? She's white. White. Okay. I think she got certified like 1970, 1971, okay. something like that. Um, so it's just been really interesting to see in different parts of the map what the standard is. Um, in order to be called a astrologer. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up in terms of certification. Where, for those that are curious about like wanting to certify, where did you get certified or where are some good places to go? Okay, so first, like, and I'm glad you brought this up about Atlanta, so that's a good thing. But one thing I have to say honestly is you don't have to be certified in order to practice astrology. I think certification is a good idea. Now, let me just say why, and then I'll talk about where. Why I think it's a good idea is that doing my own study, the problem is I didn't know what I didn't know. So certification at least gives you 
some kind of metric by which you can then, or even curriculum by which you can learn the things that you don't know or that you wouldn't be inclined to know, like for certification through the National Council for Geocosmic Research, NCGR, I had to learn how to do a chart by hand. Now, for most people, you have no real reason to have to do a chart by hand, even though I think it's a very good idea to kind of understand the astronomy and the mechanics and everything, the math behind it. Um, I don't know if I would have done that if I hadn't gone through NCGR. So people can go through NCGR. That's where I first started. And they have four levels of certification. Then I also am certified through the International Society for Astrological Research, also known as ISAR or ESAR. So with ESAR, they have a certification program, which also includes counseling skills, an SAT-like exam where it's like six hours, and then ethics. So where you also get some training on an awareness related to working ethics in astrology. And they were among the first to introduce that component, the ethics and counseling parts in terms of training. Then there's another organization to which I also belong called the Organization for Professional Astrologers, OPA, which gives also a good measure of training and certification for astrology. Um, then there are schools, um, like one school which I teach, the International Academy of Astrology, where you can also get a diploma, not only a diploma, but you come in certified at level three related to NCGR. So when you come out with that diploma, you're already hooked up with a nationally recognized, internationally recognized organization um, in astrology. So there is the, like, yeah, it's called astrocollege.org, where also people can learn more about um, astrology and come out certified. So there are various ways to get that, um, but you know there are not as many ways to be hooked into an international or national organization. There are various schools that also offer that, other than mine. But you know, one problem with them, you know, like I teach astrology also on my own, and I could certify people. You know, meaning I could say like, oh yeah, you've gone through my program, but that only stipulates that you've gone through one particular teacher's program. Not that you've kind of gone through something that was decided by multiple astrologers from multiple forms of astrology to kind of contribute, which is important. So that's true for NCGR, that's true for ESAR, that's true for OPA. I'm glad you said that. I'm over here like trying to make sure I, I'm getting these different questions that are coming up because the ethics piece is good because I actually want to ask you um, the way... Um, well, first things first, before I forget, what is the name of the gentleman that has the school in China that persuaded? David Rayleigh. Um, David Rayleigh? Yes, R-A-I-L-E-Y. Okay. He was in Atlanta for a long time. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that in case people wanted to hear that, that they got the correct name in case they wanted to do their own research. And but, I always encourage that, yes. I'm so glad to hear that. So with um, the ethics thing, I'm really glad you brought that up because I remember um, being told by multiple elders that had been studying astrology they always say protect your birth chart information that's like your energetic social security number or it's like you know giving people the blueprint to your house um and the True. security code so they were like you know because i know some people you know how ego is you can run my chart i don't care some people are cool like that but then there are mm -hmm. some people who says you can run my chart i don't care i don't care i'll get my chart up now but for me you know i'm just kind of like I was taught differently. And it's not, I'm not knocking one or the other. I'm just saying, like, I'm just curious to know what is your perspective on keeping that birth chart information um, private? First, let me say my birth chart is public. 
right? And when I say that, it's with the stipulation that, you know, you know, I talk about it, I reference it, you know, I use it. Um, but what you're saying is not incorrect, right? It is correct. It is something um, to be careful of, but let me say why I think it should, one should be careful, especially if you're talking about, I mean, you're a spiritual homegirl, right? You're going to be out more in terms of the public. And I imagine that you also are in touch with your ancestors, you know, you do some magic, blah, blah, blah. You know, one of the reasons why people should be careful um, is if the wrong hands get access to your chart, then they could, if they're into magic, right, then it is possible that they could, you know, use your birth chart in order to kind of, you know, do magic related to it. There's good news with that, though, in my opinion. The good news is that I have found most people, not all, but most people suck at magic, right? So <laughs> if they kind of try to do magic, it usually like backfires or it's just wrong. You know, they have to be careful. They haven't summoned a demon, you know, for them. You know, I once, okay, now I'm getting into innards, but I once dated a woman who I guess I pissed off. And while in meditation, I got a vision of her, you know, doing magic. Or actually, my my um, familiar attacked her in the in the vision, and so that means if anyone's paying attention, I also know some magic, or I'm in touch with the spirit realm, right? So I saw on this is MySpace days. I saw on MySpace she wasn't doing so well, so I called her up, and I'm very direct. I have a moon in Leo, I'm a sun Scorpio, right? I, I was very direct. I was like, listen, are you are you trying to do magic on me? Like, are you, yeah, well, you pissed me off and yeah, I had so-and-so and we were trying to do something and, and, and now, you know, yeah, I've been sick. Yeah, because my familiar attacked you because it warned me you were trying to do something. So why? Well, I don't know about, so it was just like, it was just dumb. So, I mean, this is not to say that you can't have someone who's more successful in doing magic related to your chart or any particular thing, um, but it, people should be careful. You know, if they go into these chat rooms or go into, you know, like Clubhouse or they go into, you know, um, on Facebook, look at my chart, blah, blah, blah. Not everyone has your best interest. And the other possibility is you don't know who has studied what and what will, they will say. So they could just say something to you that kind of becomes a worm in your head, you know, that has no real basis in fact. Oh, girl, looking at your Chiron or looking at your Pluto in the 12th house, you know, I hope everything's okay at home with oh, your man. Yeah, right? right. So next thing you know, now everything could be fine, but because they have a limited perspective, haven't done enough study, you put your chart up and they're, you know, offering, you know, because you said, you know, wanted something for free, then you get what you want for free. You get what you paid for. So I think that's the other reason why to be careful. But in general, you know, if you're in touch with your ancestors doing the work that you need to do, you know, and you have your chart out there somehow or whatever, I think largely you will be okay. But it's probably a good practice not to kind of just put it everywhere. I'm glad you spoke on um, the magic piece. I'm actually shocked that the woman that she used to date was like, yeah, I did. 
I can respect the honesty. Yeah. Well, she also knew that I think since I basically have found her out that I was like, what were you? Cause I think I built it up. Like, what were you doing the other day? You know, cause I remember, and I was like, that's just too, cause my familiar doesn't necessarily attack people. You Quick know, question. So. For those that don't know, what is a familiar? So a familiar is a being spiritual animal that sometimes even seems to appear to take actual physical form right around you, but it's mostly in the realm of spirit or the soul. You know, if you want to kind of put it in more psychological terms in the realm of the imagination um, that is around you. So it's when people have encountered their power animal, their spirit animal, right? That's another way to kind of put it. Um, and it takes a form. So when mine, you know, not going into, that's something I don't necessarily want to reveal on the show. But mine has a particular form, right? And saw it, it was like attacked. So that's kind of, um, you know, that's something that, you know, for people to understand what familiars are. You know, people, have, when they talk about cats, you know, many witches have um, cats as familiars, right? Um, that's one, you know, people like, oh yeah, that's black cat. People would have black cats as familiars, you know? Um, all kinds of things, you know, can be familiar. Okay. I just wanted to, cause again, yeah, um, the audience may not know. So exactly. I, yeah. So I thank you for, for explaining that. Um, but I'm glad you brought this whole story up because I remember there was a girl, um, and she may or may not be listening because I do know that she stays, she stays on top of what I do, even though she don't like me. Mm-hmm. So, um, what it is, is that I don't know what the issue is. Um, well, I know what the issue is. It's really petty. It's really stupid. Um, T y'all, T alert. So I've talked about this story where there was a woman uh, many years ago that I was supposed to do a collaboration with. Not really too familiar with her, you know, social media familiar, don't have her phone number, don't know where she lives, doesn't know anything about her like that. You know, it's just a mutual respect on social media. Unbeknownst to me, she was trying to date a man that I knew. Didn't know. I didn't know this though. Um, so they were on a date. Um, it did not work. And she saw me with him. So I don't know mm. what she inferred from that, but she kind of cut contact. And I was like, cool, no problem. It's not really my job to run behind nobody and figure out what the issue is. It's not my problem. Correct. Um, I noticed this person taps in every now and then on different accounts that don't belong to her. And I'm just like, okay, cool. You know, no problem, no stress, whatever. But what I realized was that there was a, a person who did astrology charts. And this person kept asking me for my chart information, you know, and I'm saying this story because I need people to understand sometimes in conversation, people seem cool and they seem like they want to help, but you never know who they working for because he kept pushing for my chart and people have asked me for my chart. So he's not the first, but this particular person kept pushing, 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 pushing. And I didn't understand why until a week later I saw her talking about how, they, you know, got their chart done by this person and he's amazing. And I said, that's mm-hmm. interesting. So how do I not know that this person wasn't sent to get my information so they could figure some things out or do some stuff, what have you? Right. So I just want to kind of tell people, like, sometimes it ain't really all good like you think it is. <laughs> sometimes there'd be some real interweb stuff. And I know some people can say, Maria, you're being paranoid. No, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. So, I mean, speaking of the ethics piece, you know, one of the, the reasons why I think Ideally, I mean, with everything being on being on the up and up, 
people should pay for sessions with astrologers, that means then that this person that you're paying should be entrusted with your information and treat it with as much respect and confidentiality as a doctor might do in terms of HIPAA, all right, or anyone in, uh, anyone else in the medical profession, um, safeguarding your birth time and other information. So, for instance, you know, every month or nearly every month, I shred, you know, any printouts I have of charts um, from you know the year before, or whatever, so that you know, one, you know, after I contact them, it might be digital, but you know, it's shredded. So you know, because one time someone brought me a whole bunch of charts that they had found in the garbage. You know, they thought, isn't this interesting? And they were drawn by hand. Oh. But that got me thinking. I was like, wow, if I just threw out someone's chart and someone found that in the garbage, what if it was some, you know, one of my clients or even a notable client, right? Um, you know, one challenge that we have in our community, this is a sidebar, but related, one challenge we have in our Black community is that many of our celebrities, we don't have their information. Right. We don't have their birth chart information. That's a bad thing, mostly like as versus, you know, the bevy of white people. We have their charts information. But the good thing about it is that, you know, some of them are very protective of their information. Like I know some who give the wrong birth time. They will give the wrong birth date, the wrong birth location. You know, I'll give you an example. Even people who don't believe in astrology, I have the birth time for Tanahisi Coates. He does not want that information public, public at all, right? And I'm not going to do it, obviously. Right. But he doesn't want it public. That's big, so like, though. But you don't care. What do you care? But I still respect that. Right. That makes sense. And and for some of y'all, that's like everybody's not. You'd be surprised. You'd be very surprised if I and like I always say, if it's not a hell yeah, it's a hell no. So I always tell people, like, if, when it comes to doing anything, if you don't have that trust or that confidence, don't do it. If it's 80 percent, don't do it. If they're asking for your chart. Don't do it. Um, so, yeah. So I just want to bring that story up to remind people like people are, are weirdos. Um, they are. And I also want to ask you about um, apps. So I had to be shady. But I already put it out publicly, so I'm just kind of like, I'm just standing in what I said. I don't like CoStar. I don't. And um, and I'm curious to know is your perspective, as you've been studying for over 30 years, what is your perspective on these types of apps? And again, I didn't like that either. People were like, jump on CoStar, jump on CoStar. And I'm like, for what? To see if we know. I don't, I don't want to see if we're compatible like that, bro. I just don't. And I know that sounds rude, but for some reason, I just don't get a good feeling about that app. And then when I logged on, and if I remember correctly, it only had the explanation of luminaries and planets. There was no aspect commentary or anything on that. And I just deleted the app. They have some of that. I mean, in, in fairness to CoStar, I mean, they have some of that, but they put it more in in simpler language. So they're not going to explain okay. as much about the aspects. Pattern is better or worse, depending on how you look at it. Pattern almost tries to make themselves as not astrological at all. So they don't use much astrological language at all. Mm-hmm. CoStar at least alludes to astrology. Um, and also in the spirit of disclosure, I'm friends with the creator for mm-hmm. CoStar, right? Well, I'm glad that you saw me because like I right. always tell people, I'm never above my own advice and I'm never 100% correct. So if I'm well, having yeah, an unfair that doesn't mean then, but also to be fair, 
even though she and I are cool, that doesn't mean I use CoStar on a regular. I have software. I use this astrological software, right? You know, on my computer, so I don't need to reference it. But I'm always curious to what people are accessing. Here's what I would say about CoStar: If you're on CoStar and you're curious about astrology, use it as a tool for curiosity. I wouldn't say use it as a tool for navigating your life. Educate yourself more about astrology to the point where either you can reference and use astrologers, right? Or that you can start getting your own personalized uh, calendar, whether you get a personalized, personalized calendar from, you know, so there's a particular sidereal astrologer who has a calendar. I don't know if it's personalized as much. Um, so people's Oracle. Um, so she's on Instagram yeah. and, and Twitter. But Honeycomb um, creates a personalized calendar that you can have that goes with all the different aspects. So you can, you know, if you want to have something to reference on the day to day and then look things up or ask astrologers, meaning, you know, if they're willing to share with you or get a session. Um, when you're doing apps, you know, you're partly doing, you know, a few steps above horoscopes in a newspaper matched with something that's a little more personalized, right? Because like you put in your data and, you know, the other thing is the same thing that we were just talking about. Now, I don't think CoStar is going to do anything magical to you, but they have your data, right? Right. So the thing is you have to think about, well, you know, and I don't know if CoStar makes a, a statement like, oh, no, we don't do anything particularly with your data, blah, blah, blah. Like, like I said, I'm not worried about them with magic, and that's not what Banu is about and doing anything particular. But at the same time, I would think like, yeah, you know, you know, are they going to start selling me stuff? Does this become other kinds of things? Um, and sometimes it just gets annoying. You're going to outgrow it. Like, you know, with the pattern, I got bored after a while. I'm like, yeah, you know, CoStar, you know, it was also kind of like, th this is not the thing I need. So I encourage people. Yeah. I, I encourage people, you know, it's titillating, it's interesting, um, but I wouldn't necessarily look to navigate my life and create partnerships per se with it. See, I'm glad you explained it that way because it's been two years since I've even been on the app and I was trying to really articulate what it is that I don't like about it. And I'm not saying it's bad for everybody, but I think for me, I have some some sense of familiarity. I only have 30 years worth now, okay? But right. it's, for me, it was just kind of like, this doesn't serve me for some reason. It just doesn't. And I think also um, the systems are different, the house systems. And yeah. and the, the use of it, I forget the name of it, but it's not something that I'm used to. Like Placidus, Yeah, I don't know I, which one they use, Componis or Placidus. A, no, okay. I don't think it's Placidus. I think the, the default is whole something. Sign, whole sign houses? No, um, I think Maxine Taylor does that one. It's something that was the ancient. They said it was an ancient version. So whatever came before Placidus and everything else, I think that is the one they use. And if I'm incorrect, okay. please feel free to call me on it. I don't, don't know. I haven't, like I said, I haven't, I have CoStar on my phone, but I don't know when I've last looked at the app. So. Right. I understand. I just wanted to get your perspective on that because I think sometimes, um, I want to make sure I choose my words carefully. Sometimes people will be placated by an app and kind of not want to do any further study. Yeah. And I think, so for instance, there was one particular app. I mean, they now 
I think, tried to correct it. It was sanctuary. Where they had, you know, and I'm an astrologer, they had my birth information wrong. I put it in right, but they were like, oh, you're a Sag. And I'm like, listen, I'm not a Sag. I've, you know, not sidereally, not any other way. I've done my chart on multiple programs over the years. Nobody has said Sag. Your data is wrong. Your computation is wrong. And they called me or they got in contact because, you know, I blew them up on Twitter um, and they got in touch with me and, you know, they were apologetic and wanted to talk about how we could, you know, collaborate or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, you know, you have to be careful. So, like, if they can even get my data, because I could look at it and be like, no, nah, that's wrong. So, no, you know, I, I imagine they've corrected it, but you never know. You don't know who's going to be new for 2022. Or 2021, the latter end of it, you know, suddenly we're going to have like, you know, star journey, right? And everyone's yeah. talking about star journey, whatever. Um, so you just have to be mindful uh, in terms of what you're, you're, you're hooked into. I actually am glad you mentioned that as well, because there was a um, a computation. Well, not a comp yeah, I guess you can say a computation, computation software too, where they had charts that were wrong. Like it was, they were just wrong. They were saying people were triple Pisces across the board. And I'm like, this is weird. Like I've never seen that before. So mm -hmm. I cross-referenced it with a mentor and they said, nah, go to um, AstroGo and look it up here. AstroGo is great. Yeah. Yeah. So I looked up and I'm like, oh, this is incorrect. Like they're not a triple Pisces. They're like a, a Pisces, Sun, Moon, Aries rising. Like this is incorrect. So I'm like, right. now there's all these charts that are, that are like, they're, they're computer wrong. So it's like people are interpreting stuff that's not even accurate. Because the apps are not accurate. So I think I know which software this is, but I don't want to say now. You tell me later when we talk about record. Because I was pissed. I was. So yeah, I want to know which. I think I know which one this is, but let's not forget that. But we don't oh, have to kind of. We gonna talk about We gonna talk after this. Okay. After I cut this recorder off. So I also want to bring up another point about Astro Gold, and I think that, and I and I know like people. I always say people dislike me because I mess their money up because I tell the truth about some of the stuff that people come up off of. So here we have a situation where you have a 30 year astrologer who knows what he's doing. He studied books. You know, he may use software these days to compute. He, if needed, he could probably, you know, do a chart by hand. OK, but then you have people who claim that they're astrologers and they use AstroGold and they use the interpretations on AstroGold. And next thing you know, they're charging 350. And I'm not calling nobody out. 350 is just a number. They charge at 350 for birth chart analysis when AstroGold is $50 on the app store. So I just wanted to know from your perspective, what do How you do I think feel about, about them? It? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's grimy, right? I mean, that's the short. It's a it's a grimy practice, um, you know, considerably dishonest. But it it bespeaks, you know, some measure of the times that we're in and why, you know, like you said earlier, and then what I also believe where people have to do their due diligence and research and not just go for who's a who's hot on social media. Um, you have to pay attention to like who's been on there, who vouches for them, right? Who they're connected to, you know, like there are people who have, yeah, they may have 15,000 followers, but who's following them, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, who are they following, I should say? Um, and who's following back, you know, how long have they been around, you know? And when I say how long, they don't have to be around 30 years, but you know, at the same time, maybe they should be around a little longer than three months, 
right? There are people who I've seen this on Twitter because I've been more on Twitter than I've been on Instagram, but I'm getting more on Instagram. But on Twitter, I've definitely seen people who were asking me astrology questions a year before. And then the next year, they're actually, you know, teaching and doing stuff. And then I had one moment where, you know, my moon and Leo got all in its roar and a little bit in its feelings where I said something and then someone RT'd me to this person and said, is this true? And I was like, listen, well, you know, and I didn't say anything. I just, I, you know, I had to be the, you know, quote unquote, bigger man and just let that fly. Cause I was like, how are you going to go to her? She who was just born yesterday. Right. And ask like what I said is true. Okay. But that's the world we're in. Yeah. You know, where you can make a video where you can kind of have an app, and then take, you know, the reports from it, whatever. And that's because there's some people who are going for a money grab with astrology and don't love the art. They don't love it. And when I say they don't love it, meaning they haven't been put in the investment, the work to learn it. I once had Maria school. I had an online school. So this is probably important. So speaking of certification, I had the Astrology Career Institute. Um, that I had co-founded with a Harvard MBA and he helped with the business part. And then I was doing more of the astrology and we were going with the model that's now become more popular, but it was during the age of CD. So this was the early 2000s, right? This is before even 2010, you know, the, the first part of the 2000s. And so I would send out CDs. So for 297, you can get all these CDs from me and then get a book on how to establish your practice and everything else. And, you know, on a business level, it was successful. You know, like I basically could get my $300. And but what I didn't like as a teacher is that there were people who would sign up and I would never hear from them again. Right. They just kind of disappeared. Then there were people who signed up and I had two exams. I had a multiple choice exam and an essay. There are people who then, you know, would send in reports that, you know, literally that they had bought for, you know, when I had given them like a, you know, a person reports that they bought and sent in as their own work. And that's when I decided, like, I'm never going to give a certificate on my own again, nor frame it as like, I'm going to dub you a professional astrologer. Because I was like, you're that invested in being a quote unquote astrologer that you would cheat, that you would kind of copy a report and try to pawn it off as your work. And it's the same kind of mentality that we're talking about with, you know, you buy a $50 program, you want to sell it for 350 and you think that's a, you know, a decent hustle. And, and it's not because like you're committed to the art, you're not committed to loving astrology and sharing the wisdom of astrology. You just want the money. Um, and there, there are people like that. And, you know, you have to have some measure of discretion just because they can talk nice and have a gift for gab. You have to pay attention to like, well, how long have they been doing this? How long, what do you also get in terms of who vouches for them, you know, in terms of testimonials and what they experience, you know, things like that. You know, I mean, I, I guess I can say I've been around for, you know, since 2009 on Twitter, Right. Someone like Sagittarian Mind been around the same time. So he's another same Right. He's another excellent astrologer. There's Janelle Belgrave. There's Mecca Woods. 
you know, these are people who've been in the game, even if it's just been like, you know, six, seven years, but they're doing the work, right? Um, you know, Zachy Starman, who's been around for even before I came on the New York scene related to astrology. Um, so, and, and one thing I'm very excited about, there's a growing crop of black women who are coming into astrology. And so we need to pay attention to them. And many of them, you know, some of them have been my students. They've been studying with other people. They're doing the work. So, you know, that's, you just have to look out for that, not rather than just going for who just glitters with gold or seems to glitter. I'm glad you said that because I'm about to go into another thing I see on Twitter a lot that I don't like. And it's not a, it's not a, a rant session, y'all. I just think people need to really understand that astrology is trendy now. It's, it's trendier more than ever. Just like spirituality is trendy. Just like metaphysics is trendy. Tarot is trendy. Everything is trendy now. So I just mm -hmm. want to make sure y'all don't get hustled out here. So that's the only reason that's why correct. I'm exploring this because like I said, I'd rather y'all get the real from me because I am the home girl than y'all see here and not hit somebody that's in y'all's corner telling y'all and y'all spend $400 $600, $700 down the line, and you really are getting something that somebody really just paid $50 one time for. Like, I don't want nobody to get scammed at the end of the day. And, and let me just say something about that. You know, I definitely will own, for whatever reason, and I can go into that another time of the dime, I'm on the quote-unquote inexpensive end for astrologers of my, if I can say this without sound, sounding egotistical caliber, meaning, you know, I've been out in, in the game for a while, so to get a full session with me is $185, right? Is that a, excuse me, I don't want to interrupt. Is that a session in terms of a natal chart reading? 60 minute, the 60 minute recorded session with me is $185. Got it. Okay. When we're talking about someone who has written extensive books, like Stephen Forrest, yeah. right? He's $300, $400 for a session and he's booked out, tricked out for a year. Okay. Right. I'm only like four or five months. Right. In terms of that. So which is still good, but, you know, whatever. Now, I do plan on raising my prices and I was going to do them in 2020, but I couldn't do it. My spirit was just like, I can't raise it during a pandemic. It's just not right. Pisces rising. I was like, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I can't, you know, in, in, and I didn't suffer for it. Alhamdulillah, it, it, it worked fine. I did not suffer. Now, when I see someone who's just come out and they're charging three hundred dollars. $400, or as I've seen, $500. You know, I have questions. What are you paying for, right? Why are they charging that much? Now, one thing to know on the business end, I know you know this from a business end, sometimes people charge an exorbitant amount, not because they think they are valued that much, but they really kind of, well, they're pricing, sometimes they're pricing themselves out of the market. But some measure of it is that unless they have another service by which they can pay more. So for instance, or get paid more. Yeah. Stephen Forrest charges $400, not just because he's quote unquote worth it, but he can make, you know, it's, it's probably worth it for him more in terms of, you know, just dealing with his books or a lecture or doing classes where he can make in that same hour a grand or two grand or maybe even five. So to kind of take that time out to do your session is losing him money. So it makes sense. Like what's reasonable for me to charge where I don't feel the same deficit, but someone who's just starting, cause I, you know, some people were hating on this one particular person on Twitter. Like they were charging $500 or $700. I'm like, 
Well, I looked at their website. I couldn't figure out what they were offering as the up end. Maybe, you know, I don't know. This might sound bad, but maybe they're working the poll and they can work, make a thousand dollars doing that. And so to stop doing the poll in order to do astrology, maybe they can, they figured $700 back. I don't know. But at the same time as a customer, what are you making? Right. I mean, what are you getting? So that's always a, you know, getaway. Now there's a brother. I'm going to say it because I'm that kind of guy because I don't want y'all to go to him. His name is Theodore White, right? So Theodore White, I know, has charged $400 for a session he does write poorly. Um, and, and even though I know he can write better, he will charge $400. And like this one person, the reason why I'm, I'm calling his name out is multiple reasons. And it's not just petty on just the level of person. Like he hasn't done anything to me, but it's because people, because I guess I'm respecting the community, have come to me. And like this one person in Canada, like I've been waiting six months for my reading and I paid $400. Can you help me? Yeah. And, you know, and this is not the first person who's kind of had this problem with this man and a man who was also, you know, I have the receipts who's been arrested by the police for not just being a hustler, but also being a squatter and having his own scams. But he's an astrologer and has been around for a while. Now, he actually do, does know some astrology. That's the sad part. But there's some people who are just not forthright. Right? So, I mean, it's kind of important to do your research. Like, yeah, you know, I'm glad you have me on, but I tell people, you can do research on me. I'm not that hard to find. So anyway, I'm over here trying to figure out who, what'd you say? Just, I was trying to figure out who this person is. I've never heard of them. Oh yeah. He, um, he's been more on, on Twitter and then, you know, like I said, you know, um, he, his star isn't rising as much anymore, I guess, because people are coming on to him more and more. He's, um, he has his own, he gets booted out of, um, astrology groups on the regular. Then he oh, starts his no. own. Mm-hmm. He's uh well, y'all heard it here. Y'all yes. heard uh who not to go to. Um yeah. so uh yeah. So with that being said, <laughs> you've already listed a lot of other people to go to too, and I'm glad you mentioned the people's oracle. Um, I was curious to know, and my my take on it is what system works for you is cool. What I don't like is when people try to act like one system is better than the other. So, oh, you guys don't know real astrology. It's sidereal. That's the real astrology. Like, that annoys me. But then I'll see people still say, well, tropical, this is the way it is now. That's then. That's now. So I see people get really weird about these two things. That doesn't need to be weird. So I was curious to know what your perspective was on sidereal because I understand you practice tropical. I do. Um, so that's also my issue, right? I don't have a problem with someone being sidereal. If you resonate more with your sidereal chart, more power to you. I think that's important to deal with the level of resonance. But when we start framing one particular astrology as better or worse or oppressive or not or liberating, in the general sense, not just in terms of the individual personal sense, I have an issue with that. Right. Um, so 
I do not buy into the idea that sidereal is more liberating or true to form than tropical. Um, they both come from the same wellspring of, of history. And the idea of sidereal, even so like, you know, yeah, well, the Babylonians used the sidereal zodiac. Well, there wasn't much discrepancy between what we now call a tropical zodiac and a sidereal zodiac in the time of the Babylonians, right? And then in terms of the Babylonians, what they paid attention to was also the tropos, which is the turning of the sun at particular points. People make the mistake and think that tropical astrology is about the seasons. It is not technically about the seasons. It is more so about the turning points of the sun at particular points as it appears on the earth, which sometimes can relate to the season, but it depends on where you are, right? I'm going, I mentioned to you, I'm going to Santa Fe. It has some permutations of the four seasons, but it has 300 days or more of sunlight, right? That's not going to be as the same as my birthplace, which is Buffalo, where I think maybe we have 20 days of sunlight. Okay, I was hyperbole, but you get the idea, yeah. right? Um, it, it's different by virtue of latitude, and this is the, the thing that the Babylonians also paid attention to. They paid attention to zodiacal longitude, latitude, and declination all three ways by which we can look at things in the sky astronomically. They were more advanced in their astrology in some levels than we are right now. They went beyond just using the Zodiac. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so when people talk about sidereal as if like, well, you know, look at the actual constellations, no astrology, Western astrology, whether it's sidereal or tropical, has ever just relied on the actual constellations, meaning the constellations are different sizes. No offense, Aries isn't that big compared to Virgo. If we were talking about Aries or the sun moving through Aries, maybe it might take 20, 25 days, whereas it might take 40 days for the sun to get to the constellation of Virgo, right? So we don't use the actual constellations as markers for when the sun is traveling through particular points. That's, so there are three zodiacs. There's constellational, then there's sidereal, and then there's tropical. So the real truth about sidereal is that it's just using a fixed point of a star that mostly is what we call spica or chitra, right? A particular star by which then we count and create 30 degrees around the whole sky for 360. That's different as versus the tropical, which is just using the motions of the sun as it hits the Tropic of Cancer, going to the equator twice, Tropic of Capricorn, in terms of all the things in between. Both were used by the Babylonians, by the way. I'm glad you brought that up too. Um, also, the more we get into like, and I'm, and this actually leads to my next question about being black in um, astrological spaces. Um, a lot of times, you know, there's the talk of, um, well, technically, black people were the ones that created astrology, and um, I think in our need to reconnect to a lot of things that are innate to us, you know, that we might have been shielded from or things were hidden from i see that happen a lot but um i'm just curious to know like what is your experience with being black in these in these spaces that have really been presented as white honestly so let me go back and touch on what you were talking about the origins of astrology mm -hmm. and then go into the experience of being you know in western astrology which i think is critical so technically we, we had Egyptians and then, you know, other cultures throughout the continent have astrologies, right? 
And what became synthesized as now what we call Western astrology is an amalgam of different aspects of astrology throughout the Mediterranean basin, you know, from Babylon, you know, what now the Greeks, but it, it actually congeals in Alexandria, in Egypt, based on many of the ideas of antiquity from Egypt. So it is true that Black people, people who look like us, you and me, um, actually were, you know, formative in creating what we have now as astrology. The, the problem is it's an amalgam, right? It's not, you know, because the Egyptians also practice very, um, and this is why sometimes I get in, in trouble. In many ways, they practice a more advanced form of astrology than what we even, you know, what became later as Western astrology, right? The Greeks kind of synthesized what they understood from the Egyptians, what they could take in terms of the Babylonians, right? Especially related to what we now call the Zodiac and other things, and then synthesized it in Ptolemaic Egypt. But astrology whole cloth, as we know it, and this is important, the important distinction, we can't find corroborative evidence of that in Egypt. We just can find pieces of it, like the decan system, how they organized and used the deities related to actually using with the stars. They paid very much attention to actual stars like Sotpet, which we call Sirius. They were very much into the sidereal, but they actually used stars. They weren't so much into using other constellations as we know them in, or the way that we put them. They had different ways in which they talked about the constellations, you know, at least 30 of them, 36, I'm sorry, 36 of them. So that's important to know as a distinction. And then that became absorbed in Western culture. So I just want to make that important distinction because sometimes like, we invented all of it, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, we started it, but what they did was innovate it. Sometimes maybe even water it down, whatever, and changed it. So that's important to kind of look at. Now to be black and in that space, knowing these particular things, it's, you know, it's better now. Right. I told you there's a lot more sisters coming in. Yeah. Brothers, you know, um, but it was difficult, you know, going through the late 90s, early 2000s in these spaces, which have largely been white. Um, you know, the first astrology conference I went to, you know, um, no one really talked to me. I said I felt invisible um, until like I stepped on an escalator. And, you know, this white woman in front of me um, grabbed her bag, you know, kind of put her bag, you know, in front of her. And I was like, oh, okay, it's here too. Okay, it's good to see, you know, that I'm not completely invisible because I was starting to feel like a ghost, you know. Um, now, later, she and I became friends and I never brought up to her what she did, right? I could have, but I was just like, you know, maybe, you know, there's a different way in which we can negotiate space here. But at that same conference, something that was very heartening is that this one white man, um, Robert Zoller, I was in a room full of white people and he said, well, we actually have the Moors to thank for the astrology that we practice now or we have because when we were pretty much nearly huddled in caves in Europe, it was those darker skinned people who actually you know, resuscitated what had been lost in Roman and Greek culture. 
I literally, Maria, had to look around and say, did this white man, am I dreaming? Did this white man just say out loud to these people? And they kind of were just like, just being attentive. And I was like, there's no reaction. That's weird. I still think that's weird. But so there are people who kind of have known these things or do know these things, right? Related to, you know, the, the legacy of, of astrology. Um, and there are more who, who are learning this, you know, especially related to the Moorish Arabic, you know, African influence related to that. And not just from Egypt, but throughout, you know, other parts of Africa, even down to Timbuktu, for example. And I think, you know, so that history is coming in. Um, some people, you know, what has been challenging is that there's also been a lot of resistance to astrology within our community. You know, I just need Jesus. All I need is Jesus or Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, it's all I need. So we have this, I don't need that witchcraft or that devilry, right? But here's something interesting. Harris polls, I think from 2005 and then other ones, you know who demonstrates belief in astrology the most in America first? I mean, as much as we know in America, Black people, more than white people, more than Latinos. They didn't include Asians, so I don't know, but I suspect we're still more than them, Black people. And what that tells me is that a lot of us deal with it on the DL, right? You know, like are interested in it or know about it. Um, I think one of the things we're also contending with is that even though I'm a generation, technically, I imagine, older than you, as an example, what's happening is that we've reached a critical mass to some degree, even though we can always slip, where we have some measure of disposable income that you know we can go more into these circles related to astrology or spirituality as a as a profession, right? I am honored to stand on the shoulders of my ancestors realizing that many of them couldn't 30 years ago become an astrologer or even dream like, you know, how would you make a living? You know, and then we had to get beyond respectability politics to like, well, that's not a respectable position. You need to be a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. You know, and now we can be astrologers, you know, and many of us, you know, some astrologers out there doing six figures, maybe close to seven, right? And so it's definitely become more, I don't know if it's respectable, but you can make a decent living <laughs> at it. Um, so I think this has been an important transition period for us, not just in terms of astrology, but us coming into astrology. Um, I think this goes along with my overarching philosophy too. So one of the, you know, we also often talk about this dichotomy between segregation and integration and integration ruined us and segregation. We need to kind of be, you know, often develop things on our own and not deal with these white people. Why do we have to go to their conferences and blah, blah, blah. Well, I think we can go to their conferences, right? And we can also do ours. And when I say it like that, I also want to get to the key point. I think the idea of just kind of getting space, you know, I'm not an astrologer who's been looking just to kind of just get some space at the table. Right? I just, you know, I just want to be able to have a table with you, Tom, and just, you know, break bread with you and blah, blah, blah. And feel like we come together and just talk about astrology. I'm not interested in that. I'm coming for the table. See, we have to kind of be daring, speaking of Aries, right? We have to be daring enough to say, 
to white people, to the world, you know, even for ourselves, like, you know, y'all have been botching this human experience, right? This idea, this overtures toward humanity. By virtue of our lessons in our history, I think we can do better. Because if we just think like, oh, we need to go off by ourselves, these people are just gonna show up again, right? That's what they did the first time. We were chilling, we were like, you know, even trading and a lot of us was, you know, off by ourselves. And so we think like, well, we can return back to the motherland and we can kind of be just among ourselves. Mofos will show up with lasers and even worse in spaceships. And then we'll be like, well, what has happened? You know, they came back, right? We have to be daring enough to say like, nah, this is the way we should go, right? So one of the things that I think, I think is gonna start to happen is that we start going into these spaces and we start redefining how spirituality works. We start writing the books that they reference. We start integrating their works, um, not just in terms of what I do, but what we do, but even expounding more on it. Because the more that we leave to them, right, the more that the nature of institutional racism is going to exclude us. So one of the reasons why I work so hard doing what I do, like I'm on the board of directors for this and work is to pave a way so there's more like, okay, come on in, let's, let's do it, let's make it happen, right? And it's not like, oh yeah, because we just want to share the space with you and we can just be as good as you. It's like, no, I think I can be better, right? I can be a hun, I come from the outback. You don't know anything about me, I know more. And I say this white people all the time, like I know more about your culture than you do and you know nothing about me. You don't know where I come from. So, you know, I speak your language, you don't speak mine and you can't speak it well. So, you know, it's like, does that, that makes you think you sound superior. Well, you know, if I'm superior, it's because I was forged in your furnace. Ooh. It's not yes. something I am gonna say about myself, but it was created by you. So that's your fault. See, that's anyway. one thing I've admired about you is that you always have been a person that has been very outspoken. I think you're probably the most outspoken astrologer I've ever come across on social media that has the competency that you do. So it's just really good to hear these conversations because I think for my generation, because you're right, you're only a generation up. So for, for my peoples and down the line with the Gen Zs, we need people like you so the same way you're standing on your ancestors' shoulders, we want to stand on your shoulders mm-hmm. because you are already an innovator with what you're doing as a black person in this space. So like, like I just want to at least say, and I feel comfortable speaking for a lot of my listeners that are interested in astrology or studying that we really thank you for your work and for your efforts and for you being unapologetically black throughout the entire experience. Thank because you. Even now, like it is, and it's not a shot to Mas at all. I mean, shout out to, to them at what that Mas that I still keep in touch with. But like, I would really be probably the only black person, black maybe one or two at the meetings. Um, so, and it is a it is a weird experience, and it's not that they made me feel unwelcome. It's not that at all. It's right. just it's just that's just the reality of how you show up. Um, it, it's Correct. different. Um, so that's just something I kind of want to put on people's heads. Like I know some of y'all may be uncomfortable because you are the only black person in your spaces, but here you have somebody that has still navigated throughout. So I just want to say, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. And you know, it, it's, it starts with 
making more room, inviting other friends. Because one of the things, because I, I, I have heard the argument like, well, we don't have to go in their spaces. Well, somewhat we do because they still have access to the books and to, to the information that is valuable and that we can also build on and kind of do the dialogue with. And, you know, the problem with the idea of institutional racism, especially as it affects, I'm going to give a talk on this on Thursday for OPA, is that, you know, like you just said, which was brilliant, it's not that you felt unwelcomed or excluded. The white community is not doing as much work. They're starting to do a little better now to include. They don't think about it. You know, there are many well-intentioned liberal astrologers who kind of like, well, you know, we're all children of the stars. Like I've had many white people say to me, like, I don't see any difference between you and me. Right. And I'm kind of a hole. And I will say, like, you're not paying attention. Right. Right. <laughs> That's not my experience. And it is important. Now, I think it's nothing, again, put me above you or below you or whatever. But it does kind of realize that we have to have a dialogue and we're coming from a different space. So when I read William Lilly, you know, in his Christian astrology and he gives descriptions of what Aries should look like in terms of flexing here and all the, he ain't talking about me. Right. Right. Or when I read Liz Green and she talks about the black man as like comparable to the Mars Pluto idea as the wolf character or a lupine character, you know, ravaging and whatever. It's like, I had to had a pause looking at that in her book, like, Who's, who's that for me? Like, is, is that me? Because that sounds like my experience of white people, right? So who is she talking about? So we have to get beyond, and again, it's not just with the simple charge, like, oh, they're racist, as much as like, you've been participating in the nature of racism. That also goes to something else, and I, I can go off about this, because you know the, the degree I was getting was in African-American studies, the PhD. So one of the things I discovered, and I talked about it on Twitter, and I, you know, people said, like, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. I said this probably in 2010, so it's like 11 years ago. White people don't understand what racism is. They don't know what it is. Like, when I say I don't, they don't know what it is, doesn't mean they can't commit the acts of it. They know what to do, right? But they don't understand what it is, right? And it's, and like I said, they created it. They think it's just like prejudice or discrimination or ethnocentrism or nationalism. No, no, no. Y'all articulated a whole theory. Some of it based on, I don't know if many people know this, based on trying to make sense of evolution and the theory of evolution with the Bible. So you created three races, like there were three sons of Noah, and you thought that made sense. And so now you have Shem, Hem, and Jephthah by which you also have the Mongoloid races and then the Caucasoid and then you have the Negroid, right? And you created this racial theory that didn't exist before in terms of how you have groupings of people. They made it. And I think that's critical for them to understand that they have situated themselves in a particular way in history that you know, tries to make them exceptional rather than like, you're like pretty much every empire that's ever existed. You know, the Roman Empire, the Egyptian Empire, the Persian Empire. And, you know, they also had their different taxonomies of who people were, but they didn't do it by the, the simplicities of, 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 you know, a race or three races, which has no scientific basis at all. 
I'm glad so, you brought this up. Yeah. So anyway, I could go off about that, but that's that's critical to understand as we enter into these spaces, because what I try to do in astrology, I think, is a I hope inspire people because not everyone can be an astrologer. Meaning, you know, they may not have the space, the time, more years for study. They may have different tastes in terms of money. You know, like like I like being a lawyer. I want to be able to you know buy expensive things, whatever. But whatever you do, you can use astrology in your life to guide you on a personal level. And in the same spirit by which we decide that we're going to take the table right? And not just get a seat at it. I think that can go into any particular field. Because I had determined, you know, when, and then I'll shut up and then we'll, maybe I don't know, we'll wrap up. But I had determined 11 years ago, pretty much when I was going on Twitter, just some backstory. When I got my certifications with NCGR, I got excited and I went to these folks and I was like, well, I would like to teach. And they're like, well, we don't really know you, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, maybe when you get, you know, because I'm not level four, maybe when you get level four, we can include you, but you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was there, maybe my moon and Leo was a little hurt, but my moon and Leo also kicked up and was like, you know what? I'm going to make them come to me, right? So I'm going to build a base that becomes where I don't necessarily need to depend on them, but by virtue of them seeing my base, they'll come to me. And they did. Right. So that's why I think we need to do in multiple fields like, you know what, you're going to come to me. Right. And I'm going to use my leverage to also change you. Not just to be with you and not just to like settle up to you and be your buddy. It's like, you know what, I'm going to prompt you to rethink how you work and how you envision what you think works. So I'm not just here to like help integrate the space. I'm here to like, yeah. You know, your sense of how you think history works doesn't work for you even. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because I remember um, a mentor of mine was running America's birth chart. And she was like, oh, she said, oh, they about to get it. This like this time period they're in right now. She was telling us this in 2016. She was like, y'all better tighten up, get your house in order because come 2021, 22, um, she said the real the real drama is 2024. She's mm-hmm. like, it's going to pop out. She was like, so yeah. y'all better make sure y'all are prepared. Pluto She's return. Like, this, this is just the beginning. And the I was Pluto like. Return, and Uranus goes into Gemini. You know, one thing that is distressing to some degree. The United States has never not been at war when Uranus is in Gemini. So that's something to consider, considering that, you know, we've gone through three iterations of Uranus and Gemini because Uranus returns every 84 years. So that's something to, to recognize. Now, who we're going to be at war with, I don't know. Um, right now, it could look like we're going to be at war with ourselves. That That's one thing that happened when Uranus was in Gemini in that's the 19th century. Say, which is scary. Right? It's not scary yeah. in the sense of fear, but it's just like... Right. I mean, you don't... We, who wants war? Um, right. Although I do think to complicate matters a little more, we could be at war with ourselves while simultaneously dealing with an external foe. Because the United States, you know, keeps picking with certain people. And, you know, I think there's only so long we can pick with these people before something jumps off. 
And one of these people, countries, I think, is speaking of that empire, the Persian Empire, is Iran, right? So, you know, we keep poking at Iran, even through Israel, and all it takes is just something to jump off. And Iran is not Iraq, right? Not that Iraq, you know, just laid down and just whatever, but they have a different landscape, a different spirit, um, you know, a whole different, you know, yeah, they, because they have a lot more history, you know, you know, even longstanding history at stake in terms of being Persian. Um, and there's also different tectonics that are happening. What's happening with Uranus and Taurus is that there's a lot of slow moving big shifts that are happening, you know, like big tectonics, you know, um, that then suddenly become earthquakes. And so the earthquakes, I think, come more as Uranus is in Gemini. But the movement that's setting up all these different things, that's happening right now. So like I've been telling y'all on this platform for the past six, well, what, five years now? We're going on five years. Uh, make sure you know how to survive. There are different survival skills. Gardening. I don't post that mm -hmm. for fun, y'all. I mean, it, it, it is fun to me, but it is also a situation to where if there is a food shortage, I can go out and eat some microgreens or some onions or some raspberries or some blueberries and be okay. So right. um, now, also, now someone's probably figured out, that's why that Negro's going to New Mexico. <laughs> oh. All right. So anyway. <laughs> but before we wrap up, I have two questions. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I don't like the demonization of aspects. I was always taught there's no such thing as a bad aspect. That's true. Um, okay, good. Shout out to my teacher. So then there's Dr. Sherry Anderson. I got to shout her out. She was on my show before. But um, I also want to talk about Saturn returns and Mercury retrogrades. I get very upset. And also Chiron, right? Yes, and Chiron. Chiron. My homegirl, mm -hmm. yeah, she definitely wants to, um, to ask. She was in my Patreon. Okay, so we'll period. do those. So I guess with Saturn returns, what are some best practices that you would give in your experience to those that are experiencing Saturn returns? Are you at your Saturn return? Uh-uh. Okay. But some, one, of, one of my friends was getting his, like, he was getting whooped. Well, a couple of them was getting whooped. Yeah. And I was just like, like... I mean, I told him what I thought based on what I saw, but at the same time, it's like from a from a super, like I mean, thirty years. Come on now, so that's somebody's lifetime you've been studying astrology. So I'm curious to know your perspective on how to sure. better navigate yeah. those. So first, just to make clear to your audience, you know, what is the Saturn return? It's Saturn coming back to its original position as it was when you were born. Now that can be by sign, meaning as right now Saturn's in Aquarius, so he's come back to the same sign as he was. 30 years ago. And like I mentioned um, earlier in our, in our broadcast, um, the web, the World Wide Web is having a Saturn return because it was, it first went online when Saturn was in Aquarius. Now, then we can also look at it by degree. So if you're 21 degrees of Saturn in Aquarius, then sometime next year or so, your Saturn will be exact. But I look at the Saturn return as when he goes into the sign. Now, in the general sense, there's a couple of different images and analogies I use by which to understand the Saturn return, and then we can get into the strategies with it, uh, to cope with it. One is that imagine that life has been running a relay race with you, because like for the first 30 years of your life, life has been making you. But at that particular point, your Saturn return, it's time for you to make life. So it's almost like life kind of, 
you know, stress it, you know, comes to you behind you with that baton, like, shit, I'm tired. You run with it. And so now it becomes your race to run related to your life. The other image that I use is that now it's like life, your community, the community, the family, the people that have been investing in you want to see a return on investment. And not so much just on their terms, which that's going to be their prerogative or attempt, but it becomes important for you. You know, Saturn represents also authority. How are you going to craft that sense of authority? How are you going to author your sense of authority on your terms? So it becomes when you begin to own your life. So this may be the moment where someone really kind of realizes like, I never wanted to be a lawyer. I don't know why I went to law school. I don't even know why I'm at this firm. And then they have the moment where they get away from their shoulds because that's the nature of your 20s. You know, it's dealing with all your shoulds, the shoulds that you came into your 20s with that you think were idealistic. You know, like I should have my first baby by the time I'm 25. <laughs> I should have. And then all the shoulds that you got from your parents, all the shoulds from your society, right? So Saturn comes around and really, this is the third image related to the Egyptian Book of the Dead, or we could say the coming forth by day, where Saturn almost represents like um, like uh, Anubis or um, Umpawe, who weighs your heart against a feather. And he's, he's asking, really, which one of these shoulds are yours? And he's trying to have your heart as light as a feather. Now, he is associated with being the heavy planet, but... He's more than heavy to highlight where you're make where you made yourself heavy, where you kind of like situated. So it becomes important to be reflective and think about it because that's one of the names I have for Saturn. I call him the planet to sit your ass down. So during your Saturn return, it becomes important to sit down with yourself and one to get to know yourself, contemplate, right? Even meditate, and then think about the shoulds that you've acquired and think about, well is this mine? Do I even care about this? Because what you're going into in your 30s is more so what you want to do, how you want to make things happen that you've learned now from being in the room of yourself a whole full 30 years. And now you have a sense, you may not know every item, you know, in every room of the house of your soul, but you at least now have traversed through the house, right? And so now it's kind of like, do I want these curtains up there? Do I want this here, right? So the Saturn moment becomes where you're deciding more so how you're going to own the dimension of your life. So Saturn also is thinking about the sense of structure because what's really happened with the Saturn return is that you actually have, if you live long enough, about three of them. Now, the third Saturn return, you're in your 80s. So I'm going to be blunt. I mean, like, unless you're really healthy and spry, your notions you know, the things that you may be able to do during your 80s may be limited. Let's just be honest. What you're doing between your first Saturn return and your, your second Saturn return is that you're taking the dividends of experience that you're cultivating based on that return of investment so that the time that by the time that you get to your second Saturn return, you're ready to reinvest those dividends of experience in the society that first made you. So. I'm consciously preparing myself for my second Saturn return, right? Now, I hope, inshallah, I live to get to that, you know, because only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can decide or whatever you want to call it, Oladumare, right? Jesus, however you want to describe it, can decide what happens 
But the work that you start to do with your second Saturn return is really kind of prepare and condition for the first crop. Because one of the romantic things that we say, you know, especially in Black culture, is about the babies. We got to take care of the babies. You know, we got to look after the children, right? It's the children. That's only partly correct. We have to also, as we get older, think about our eldership and the responsibility we want as elders in crafting the next generation. Because let me tell you something, you know, the people who make the laws, you know, as they go toward their second Saturn return, right, around 58 to 60, those are the people who determine what's going to happen for the next 30 years. You know, the people that, you know, voted in these Supreme Court justices, for example, are setting the precedent for what becomes law for at least another 30 years, right? So we're romanticizing, let's take care of the babies, but the babies can't do, you know, like, you know, the baby has no choice, right? If the baby is 18 and wants not to have a baby, she she has to have the baby because someone decided, some old cracker decided like, oh, well, you know, you're going to have to have that baby because there ain't enough white people in the world. By the way, this is a sidebar. The whole GOP platform is predicated on maintaining whiteness. You know, we don't want queers. We don't want, um, you know, the idea of, you know, trans or we don't want also in terms of abortion and all that because they ain't enough of us and we need to keep that. That's really their platform, yeah. right? So, I mean, we have to understand where do we want to go and thinking about our elders and encouraging our own elders and then elders having to step up, right? I think, you know, I was very encouraged by seeing people talk about respectability politics doesn't make any sense. I mean, thank God for Obama with that, because Obama showed us like, okay, you could be squeaky clean relatively, right? And kind of like, you know, almost look like howdy duty and still it won't matter, right? In terms of your blackness. So we have to start thinking differently and what's going to be along the line. So I think the way that which people are leaning into their Saturn returns is using some of the words associated with Saturn, authority, discipline. So how are you going to structure your life to be real? Some of the things that you and I initially started talking about with men, I mean, obviously this is for women, but I think brothers right now need to hear this, like, what's the plan, right? You know, we don't, we're not thinking about the plan. You know, we're saying like, you know, the plan is to get a nice house and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like, yeah, to have a woman and, you know, for me to have some fun on the side and blah. That's not a plan, right? That's you, you know, trying to maintain some measure of your childhood, right? You know, that's not to build. So I think it's important to think about those things. You know, fortunately, I think more women are thinking about that. You know, so anyway, so that's the Saturn return. I think you had some other questions. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Saturn return, um, I'm glad you explained that. And I'm glad you also um, explained it from a, I mean, because there are some men that, a lot of men that listen to my podcast. It's just that, you know, my primary demographic is 25 to 44. They're women. Women. Um, but I do have a lot of men that tap in, um, that, which is great because there's hope. Um, that's how I look at it. Like men that think a little bit more outside the box and progressive. And, and like we said, the way we connected was, you know, having more respect for women and, and actually trying to understand things from their point of view. We need more of those men around. Um, but the second question is retrograde, Mercury retrograde. I get tired of pop astrology demonizing Mercury retrograde. So here's the thing to know about Mercury retrograde. So 
Um, one, just to explain to your audience what it is, it's the appearance of Mercury moving retrograde in the sky, um, which happens at least three to four times during a year. Mostly three, but occasionally it can be the fourth time. I think that happened a few years ago. What is actually happening? Mercury, because it's closer to the sun, completes its cycle through the zodiac in 88 days, which means from our perspective, it seems to be going backwards, but really it's kind of like, no, Negro, I just went around again I, and I'm catching up to you. So what's really happening for Mercury? It's going toward a rebirth. So you can think of Mercury retrograde as Mercury going toward a new moon experience, recalibrating itself that prompts us to think about all the things related to Mercury that we need to recalibrate. What are the things associated with Mercury? I call them the three comms. That's communication, commuting, and commerce. You know, all aspects related to business. So it becomes a way by which we have to renew, reconnect all the rewords related to those three things. So let's talk about communication is the simplest example. So if you are always in the habit of texting your partner, when you run into a snafu, you know, what do you mean, whatever, right? Then that might mean the moment where you recalibrate, renew how you communicate. You might need to get off, get on the phone and stop texting. You're about to run into a problem, right? <laughs> so you keep texting. What do you mean by whatever? You know, I said, whatever. The next thing you know, you're in an argument because you're not taking the step to think into, which is what, this is what Mercury mostly requires, not to beware, but to be aware. So the more that you can be aware and think along with your stars, which is the, the root of the word consider, considere, to think with your stars, the more that you're working with the energy that's available and around you. So a lot of people freak out when Mercury retrograded, and astrologers are partly responsible for this, you know, because they kind of like, Mercury's about to retrograde, you know, back up your computer, blah, blah, blah. Mercury retrograde is, is mostly most important if, and this is where you have to know some astrology, if it connects to some important things in your chart. So for instance, when Mercury goes retrograde in Gemini, let's say, I can't remember the exact degree, and let's say it's on your IC, you know, meaning related to your sense of home, which is kind of a particular point in your chart then it may be some ways in which you need to check things around your home, you know, make sure everything, the outlets are clear, blah, blah, blah. You know, especially if you have children looking at, you know, the child protection you set up, you know, there's ways in which you can be creative to be aware rather than being like, oh, what's going to happen with this Mercury retrograde? Am I going to get my packages? You know, am I going to get porch robbed? Blah, blah, blah. People living with a lot of fear rather than realizing it's just like a new moon. You don't get freaked out with a new moon or full moon, most people don't. Um, it's like just realizing that this is part of an important cycle. So for instance, something happened today, you and I decided on having this particular um, podcast or meeting when Mercury is having his superior conjunction, meaning that he now is about to pass the sun. He's now in the bosom of the sun, we say. It's called Kazemi. And he's about to go toward a rebirth as an evening star in about... 10, 15 days. And what that means is that now he's a much more mature Mercury. He's going toward like his full moon phase, so to speak. And then he's going to retrograde and then go toward his new moon and have his, what we call an inferior conjunction. So it's a cycle of birth and rebirth. Um, that's the easiest way to understand Mercury retrograde rather than the fear. And last but not least, right, I think it's Chiron. 
Right. Yes, and before we get to that, I always make it a point to remind people. I started Spiritual Homegirl officially. My first episode launched during Mercury Retrograde of 2016, September 15th. So um, I just always want to remind people, like, you can do, it, it just depends on your chart. You just have to pay attention to what, or at least learn Absolutely. somebody to look it up in terms of what works. So, you know, and they say, oh, it's not going to last. Five years later, almost we're here. So right. it just means, you know, especially, you know, it depends on your chart. It also, Mercury Retrograde can be, you know, it, for instance, some people say like, well, I can't sign a lease on the Mercury retrograde. It just means pay attention to what you're doing so that you're not just flying by habit or the seat of your pants right. or just assuming that what you think is there is there because likely it's not. That's the issue. The Beatles, for instance, signed their first contract during a Mercury retrograde. And then when they got a new manager, it was renegotiated. And that's why you know the Beatles, right? So it became a setup for them toward a different thing that even propelled them into another stratosphere. Now, of course, it went to a different uh, calibration. They had to get rid of some Beatles, right? Including the black one. You can look that up. There was a black Beatle. Let me write that down in my notes. Okay. I mean, I'm being certain. There's a little bit of hyperbole. He wasn't officially ever the Beatle, but it's like they had a black man in his band, in their band. I see what you're saying. He's still a Beatle. Mm-hmm. Right. They had a brother. So that makes sense. Now. It's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but yeah, um, I think I answered that question. And yes. Then, and then Chiron, what is your take on Chiron? So just to, in, you know, I, you know, I'm straight shooter, spirit of disclosure. I do not regularly use Chiron in my practice. It's more so because the, my nature is that I like to study something more in depth. And when I say that, um, I've done some study related to Chiron, you know, even studying with someone who's done at least three, four, several books on Chiron, Melanie Reinhardt, um, but there's more. And I've never been satisfied. Most often Chiron is a centaur, it's not an actual planet, um, but it has some, you know, regular orbit, you know, in the, in the earth, around the earth. And as a centaur, um, it's said to be, and, and Chiron related to the myth of Chiron, the wounded healer. Now, after a while, there's, so, there's only so much you can hear, like, this is your deep wound. This is where you need to be healed. And it's like, you know, it sounds, when we talk about astrology, like your whole chart is where you need to be healed, right? It's a, all a wound. So I got very dissatisfied initially with descriptions of Chiron, right? But one of the things I've come to appreciate the more I've thought about Chiron, and then also in terms of different writers like Melanie Reinhardt, uh, Barbara Han Clough, and then Adam Gainsburg, these are people you can look up. Um, it's not just a deep wound. It's where you encounter futility. That's how I kind of define more, you know, that moment where, you know, you recognize the futile and the futile isn't just conditioned by the sign, but it's also conditioned by the sign related to your experience, right? Um, so I'm going to give a Star Trek example for those who are into Trek, but those who may not be like, I don't know what that Negro's talking about right now. So, you know, he just went to other spaceship. So we're going to leave that alone. But I think about Chiron, like the Kobayashi Maru, 
the no-win scenario because then it becomes more a test of your character. And by virtue of being willing to deal with the test of your character with a situation, and the situation is dictated by where Chiron is in your chart, and then where what sign they're in. And I'll get to mine in a second. It becomes a moment by which you then, um, by virtue of this test of character, really, you know, are facing yourself. And by virtue of facing yourself and being able to see yourself, that can be the moment of healing. Because one thing to know about Chiron is that he did deal with that aspect of futility. There was nothing he could do to heal himself, even though he was a healer. But one thing that, um, that happened is because of his level of virtue and really kind of being willing to endure his pain and at the same time be there for others, he was raised up by the gods to be among them in the sky, right? So the lesson with Chiron is not just to wallow in your wound, right? Or to be like, I have this deep wound that I must heal. It's recognizing by having the courage to face the wound, recognizing that maybe you may not even heal it or you know, fully develop that power, then that you can have a different experience by which it's transformed. So my Chiron um, is in Pisces in the first house. So the more that I have gotten a sense about who I am, both in terms of my physicality, um, both in terms of understanding the dimension related to my race, all the different aspects by which I can talk about identity, the more that I can't change my wound, right? The ways in which I encounter myself, the more that I can have transformational experiences or experiences that can help others. Like, so I couldn't get around wanting to communicate to people about who they can be, you know, whether that was through astrology, whether that was through preaching, whether that was through teaching, whether that was through African-American studies. It is part of how we talk about even the nature of identity by virtue of my Chiron being in the first house. So like if you had Chiron in the second house, how you're dealing with resources, maybe the frustration that you might endure related to resources and how you have or not have them in your life. Chiron in the seventh house is dealing with how you negotiate and how you may have issues related to relationship and where you encounter futility with that, you know, and it, it really kind of that dealing with even that moment of sadness can be purifying, right. By virtue of recognizing then like, Oh, moving through it. You know, one particular thing I think of as a, a kind of chirotic story, but we don't talk about it this way. You know, shut up. I know I've been talking. I don't know how long you're, your, your broadcasts normally are, you know, like, this nigga that was talking about, well, we did two hours, but um, I think a lot about the Lion King. It's not just because I have a moon in Leo, but one thing I think about it, it's kind of a, I mean, yes, it's a retelling of Hamlet. It's a retelling of a lot of different stories, but it's also, and it's also the retelling of, speaking of Egyptian history, Asar and, and, um, and Set, you know, Set was also Horus's uncle. But it veers off and it has some weird parts of it, right? And so one part of it is you think about, you know, Simba's encounter fut with futility, like in one particular sad moment that I think they also kept in the live version with Simba lifting the paw of Mufasa, right? You know, which was really sad. You know, it's like, that's like even a, a significant moment related to futility, like, you know, trying to like get up and you know, like your father is gone. 
right? And I think that sadness drove him into a, and I think they captured that very well into a sense of despair and being lost. That's utterly profound. And we don't think about it because they made it funny, but and I'm going to say it in this a very, I think, humorous, humorous way. This mofo ended up eating grubs like bugs. This is a lion, you know, hanging out with uh, something that he should eat. <laughs> right? It's like, that, you know, he got really messed up. But we don't talk about it that way, but he got jacked up. That's Chiron. That's a Chironic experience. And, you know, what I laughed about... <laughs> I mean, my wife laugh about, it, I think, too, is like, so when he goes back to, you know, Pride Rock and then someone sees him eating like bugs, right? How are the lions going to respond? Like, did you just eat a bug? Right? Don't you want, you know, we just brought you like this, you know, zebra leg. No, I'm good. Wait, what? So there's a, you know, Chiron is kind of really where you deal with the reconfiguration of your trauma and you have to kind of work around the futility not, and work through the futility rather than thinking that, you know, I'm just going to be whole. You're going to be a different level of whole. All right. So that's my humorous take on the Lion King. But that's kind of like that, that sense of it. That makes sense because that part always puts people in tears. So it's really interesting that that's something that they can all identify with in their own lives, whether they realize it or not. Because mm-hmm. we've all been there. So and now I'm just kind of like. Wow, that's that's a really that's a that's a good way to explain it. I would have never I would have never put the Lion King and Tyronic <laughs> experience in the same like story. So it actually makes a lot of sense. So thank you for explaining it. So now I know like I, I feel like that's the best way to explain this to a person who doesn't know that much about astrology and even people who do. So yeah, because I mean, many people have seen the Lion King, one of the iterations of the Lion King, and I've seen three. I've seen you know I saw the play you know because you know new york broadway and i've seen the movie obviously and then i also have seen um the beyonce version that's why i'm gonna call it you know (laughs) cool well i thank you so much for coming on this show and thank you for having me i enjoyed our conversation it's i I always like these type of interviews because they're longer than my my solo episodes um i love being able to really get perspective um, so people can understand that this is something that doesn't have to be feared. It isn't something that has to be misunderstood our entire lives. It's okay to be yourself in mm-hmm. this in this space. And it's okay to learn. It's okay to vet who you're dealing with. It's okay to take pop astrology as entertainment and not the law of your life. Correct. It's okay to have an app for a tool and not a end-all be-all. So like we've covered so much with um with with this entire like conversation so i'm really grateful i mean i know you have to spend two hours of your day with me on a sunday especially so i do appreciate you again coming on this on this show but how can people get in touch with you thank you for asking so people can get in touch with me through the website is unlockastrology.com so unlockastrology on one word the website is unlockastrology um i'm sorry the email is unlockastrology at gmail.com um, if they want to book a session, they go to the website um, and then they can, there, there's some steps in terms of contact me or there's some ways in which they can book right at the bottom um, or they can get on my mailing list. You know, if they just want to kind of check me out first and get, you know, a sense of what I talk about, 
I'm also on Instagram under S as in Sam, F as in Fred Reynolds, SF Reynolds. And then that same moniker is going to be on Twitter. Um, but I'm off Twitter for Ramadan. So I'll be back on, let's say, May 13th. Um, you know, inshallah, we'll see what happens. So May 13th, I'll, I'll be back on and people can, you know, see my see me act a Twitter fool. Um, get back on. <laughs> Or they can just catch up on the previous, the previous thing. Previous tweets, right. I mean, exactly. y'all, he been on for so long. By the time y'all even get halfway finished, it'll be, Ramadan will be over. So, right. like, you still got a whole bunch to cover. So, um, so yeah, so this has been another episode or interview of the Spiritual Homegirl Podcast with our OG astrologer. Samuel OG Edwin. astrologer! Yeah. <laughs> hey, fight! Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. I went too far. <laughs> no, you good. <laughs> And this was this week's episode with veteran OG astrologer Samuel F. Reynolds. Now, if you need to find them, you can do so at SF Reynolds. That's anywhere on social media. If you need to find his website, you can tap in at www.unlockastrology.com. Again, that is unlockastrology.com. Thank you again, OG Sam, for coming on my show. I really appreciate it. And the reason why I love to have OGs and elders on the show, because, you know, Sam is not old enough to be an elder just yet, but he's an OG in the game. I think it's really important that we have our elders and our OGs on the show in order to provide perspective. I also believe that it is because of them that we are able um, as a people to do what we do in the way that we do it during these times. And I think that it's very, very important to give our OGs and our elders their flowers while they're still here. Um, and, and this was just a great opportunity for me to do that and also get some game in the process. You can never be too advanced to get game and you can never be too much of an expert to hear different perspectives from those that have been where you've been so in this case this episode was totally like remember he was on my bucket list to interview so I was really really excited like I was so excited y'all have no idea the video will come out in a couple of weeks because I'm working on restructuring my YouTube um, but I don't know if you all noticed I did in my podcast marathon I will do a separate episode as to why I did that but in the meantime, if you need to find me, I'm Spiritual Homegirl everywhere. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and Clubhouse. For those who don't know, my Patreon members are the only ones that can help me interview my guests. So some of those questions were submitted by my guests. Um, I have a holistic dentist that I'm interviewing in a couple of days, and they have questions that they submitted to her as well. So if you want to be able to help me interview my interview guests, if you also want to help me join my sun sign challenge, where we basically use the energy of the sun to better our lives every sun sign season in simple, practical ways, you can do so at Spiritual Homegirl on Patreon. Tears only start at $7. If you want to sign up for Tribe Letter, you can do so at spiritualhomegirlpodcast.com. If you want to check out my new website, you can do so at spiritualhomegirl.com. If you want to sign up for the Homegirl Text Club, text the word homegirl10, H-O-M-E-G-I-R-L-1-0 to 81493. Again, text the word homegirl10 to 81493. Also, if you want to get some crystal-infused aromatherapy, some spiritually expressive clothing, some puzzle books to help you de-stress without technology, you can definitely tap in at spiritualhomegirl.shop. So with that being said, y'all, this has been another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl. My name is Maria, and remember, trust the journey, trust yourself, and never be too old for OG wisdom, okay? We could always use the wisdom from our elders and our OGs. All right, love y'all. Peace. This episode has been produced by producer extraordinaire Jason Trachademics Valerio.